Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, welcome back to our study in Galatians. We are finishing up this study today in chapter six. And as we do, each week I've gone through and just kind of done a recap of where we've been. And and this week I'm gonna do the exact same thing, except for I'm going to start back at chapter one. It's been a while since we've been there, so hopefully this will give us a reminder and really some context into how this letter all fits together. So if you remember in chapter one, Paul simply begins by introducing himself. He's an apostle and he talks about the gospel, the true gospel of what Christ has done, that he's rescued us from sin and death. And the reason he's done this is because he's going to immediately start to admonish the Galatian churches for rejecting that gospel and turning to a false one. Now, he, he does this after he set up his authority to, do, to call them out on this, but he also then goes into an autobiographical account. Of, of really his own story, his own testimony. And that's because his testimony shows that there's been a transformation and an actual transition and a, and a conversion from somebody who was obedient and zealous and knowledgeable and passionate about the Jewish faith to somebody who, who is now a converted and transformed Christian living by faith in Christ. And so this actually gives him the ability to speak into their situation, not only because he's a leader in the church, but because he's been transformed by the gospel he's trying to protect. And then he actually says that he's had a confrontation even with Peter himself, the rock in which the church had been built, that this was a prime leader, and yet this prime leader had made some mistakes. He had shied away. He had turned to, given a cold shoulder to some of the Gentiles, and Paul called him out. Not only him, but all the churches who had forgotten that God did not just come for Israel. He came for all who called Christ king. And so Paul begins to unpack the true gospel, which is justification by faith. When we believe that Christ has died and resurrected for us because of our sin, we are are not only called innocent, but we're actually transformed into people of innocence. And in chapters 3 and 4, he unpacks more and more of the theology behind that. He elaborates on the fact that we aren't saved by works, we're saved through faith. We aren't saved through the covenant of Moses, we're saved through the covenant with Abraham. One was law, one was promise. But the promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, when we had faith in him, it opened up our lives so that the Holy Spirit would come in, take residence, and now chapter 5 communicates that we have this new covenant sign. It's not circumcision anymore. It's the Holy Spirit. This is the, the sign that we really need because, one, it seals us for eternity and our relationship with God, but it also cuts away the true flesh that was hindering our relationship with him in the first place. You see, this Holy Spirit reminds us over and over again of the family that we've joined, but also the person that we've been called to become. And it produces that person by bearing fruit of joy and peace and patience and kindness. And and Paul begins to identify also what, uh, what it starts to put to death in sexual immorality and debauchery and anger and all these different things. And now we're getting to chapter 6. Now Paul is wrapping up his letter, and he's starting to to point out some practical applications in which these truths start to infiltrate the church, and they, they become integrated into the church in beautiful and good and amazing ways. And so listen to what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted." Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. 
Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, Paul gives multiple points of application throughout this, but they all fall under this main umbrella. Community is God-ordained. God has given us a community not only to enjoy Him, but to enjoy the family He's placed around us. And that is because of the way in which that family can begin to provide for each other as we run this race. Now, Paul gives two main ways in which the family does this. One is that they restore, that the church actually becomes a place, a space in which people can be moved from false damaging beliefs to true, healthy, godly ones. And that the reason we can start to interact into these ways of restoration is because of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we all know people, maybe it's just us, that just need to be restored, reconciled. We need to stop treating people harshly. We need to stop treating people in ways that aren't loving or simply having beliefs in things that we thought would bring us life but actually don't. And what Paul's saying here is that the Spirit actually equips us to enter into those conversations, to be on assignment. It gives us the responsibility and and just the ability to allow this restoration to take place. But he also says to be careful, that we have to guard our hearts. Because the truth is that the same thing that tempted their heart away from God, away from true belief, could tempt ours as well. That false beliefs are enticing when they have along with them immediate pleasures But the truth is, they have long-term death. And so Paul says, be careful. Just be careful. And then he says, the other thing the community does is they share. They share life together. They share their time and their resources and and their love. And this is best seen in these local bodies, the local church bodies, when people are suffering. Like, love is able to take that burden onto itself. And we look to Jesus, who did this so well in so many instances, but especially on the cross, when he took our burdens upon himself. And this example gives us one to model and to exhibit and to express as we find people who are in the midst of turmoil or suffering and we allow just ourselves to come alongside them and take that burden with them. And Paul gives another disclaimer. He says, but you need to be careful because when you see people suffering around you, whether it's because of their own mistakes or, or, their, or circumstances that they were thrusted into, the point is that we can have spiritual pride And we can look at them and we can be boastful about our circumstances and therefore judgmental of theirs. As if they chose that, they did this. But the truth is, grace, man, it transcends those boundaries. Grace allows us to give people not what they deserve, but what love deserves. And love just provokes us to give up ourselves in order to help them really enjoy the best parts of God's family and of God himself. Now, what's interesting here is that it seems as though Paul's being a little bit contradictory because at one point in this, he says to bear each other's burdens, but on another part, he says, but everyone needs to carry their own load. So how, how does this make any sense? Well, I kind of imagine it like this, like as if all of us are carrying around a box and in this box are just the aspects that make up our, our lives, right? And sometimes those things can become really so heavy that our arms get tired and they can start making the box get tattered and torn. And what Paul's saying is really we're all responsible for carrying around our box. But we, what we're also responsible for is for identifying when somebody's arms are getting tired, when somebody's box has become too heavy for them to just carry on their own and they just need some help until their arms can get strong again or until their box can get repaired. Man, our lives need that sometimes. And really our community needs that sometimes to be able to share each other's burdens and be able to enter into life with other people. And this is how we enjoy 
people and share the burdens around. Now, Paul continues on in verse 6. He said, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, Paul here is making the point that those who are receiving instruction should actually share that good news, that good information, not just with their instructor, but with all of those who make up the family of God. And what he's saying is that in doing so, we can't mock God. Like we can't just enjoy good things and share the news of good things and then at the same time do all these fleshly things. It just doesn't really make sense. He's saying once you've been clothed with Christ, once you have been changed by Christ, you don't get to wear Christ's garments and then still roll in the mud. Justification, it's the pronouncement of our innocence, but it's the spirit that actually creates that innocence. And that's what happens in our life. And this is why Paul says, man, you're going to reap what you sow. If you think grace gives you the license to keep sinning, man, you need to think again. Because if we aren't being sanctified in Christ, it's because we aren't actually in him. The flesh is still doing fleshly things. But for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have who have been changed by him, the Spirit is putting to death those things over and over again, and only eternity remains. And so Paul says, man, don't become weary. Keep running that race. Keep doing good to all around you, and especially to those who believe. Now, this might sound pretty interesting to a lot of people because Paul's saying, really, you should love everybody. You should do good to everybody. But actually, you should prioritize those who are in your church family, in your community of believers. Because not only will this allow you to have a greater family life, but it'll actually allow you to have greater world impact as that family continues to get bigger and people see how you're able to enjoy life together underneath God's lordship. Now, as Paul continues, he's going to wrap up this letter and assure his readers and their opponents that he wants to just one last time hit home this point about grace through faith. And so he says this, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Paul says, look at these large letters I'm writing with. And we think that's because it's thought that Paul had bad eyesight. So he's literally just writing these letters so gigantic that it's obvious that it was him. Like everybody knew his eyes were bad and they can now see it on the page as his letters are just bouncing off. And the point is that this wasn't written by a secretary or a scribe. Now, it might surprise you that actually most of Paul's letters were. Most of the, the documents we have that make up our New Testament, that make up Scripture, were written by secretaries that would help out Paul as he dictated the word to him. In fact, in Romans 16, verse 22, it says this, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, this was pretty common practice, but the fact that Paul wrote this letter himself instead of just dictating it continues to support of how personal of a letter this was for him. Like he was writing to people and really trying to impress upon them one last time how important it is not to live according to the flesh, but more importantly, to live according to faith, faith in Christ. Paul says the only reason people are trying to get you to live according to the law, to be circumcised again, is that it's, they actually get to flee persecution from it. 
Like they don't have to be rejected by their families. They don't have to give up this old life that they had. And he said, man, this is what, this is what God asks of us. This is the demand he places on us that sometimes Christianity has a high cost. Man, we got to pick up our cross at times. And sometimes it means being rejected by family and friends and society. But everything can be redeemed and will be redeemed and restored when we find out that our true family, our true city that we want to belong to, the true place that we want to allow ourselves to enjoy is with God and with the community he's creating. It's what we were always created for. And what he also says is that really no one who is circumcised could ever keep the law to begin with, despite them demanding this from the Gentiles and the Jewish converts. So it really doesn't make sense for them to keep asking the Gentiles to do this. Now, he continues on in verse 14. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. See, Paul says that our boasting can never be in our achievements. It can never be where they are found because we can't boast in how well we've obeyed the law because we, we can't earn our salvation. We've already messed it up. We can't boast about our place in the community or the status we've achieved. It just won't work. Instead, we must boast in what Jesus has done. We must enjoy and talk about and proclaim over and over again his status, his goodness, his glory, his grace, and his love. And Paul says the world has died to him. And he has died to the world and everything that once had an appeal to him. Everything that once had an appeal of identity and worth and status, man, it's just been made pointless. Because now our worth and our identity, our value, it's all found in Jesus. And this is why Paul says, man, peace and mercy can be enjoyed by all who follow this. To all who comprise the true Israel, the new Israel of both Jew and Gentile, this new community, this new covenant people, this new family of God. And Paul says that his life his very life is now hidden in God, and it's not defined by anything in his outside world, any person who gives him trouble, any society that may want to persecute him. He understands what Jesus has done, and he's been a witness to it, and now he's simply trying to be an embodiment of it. He's trying to express that same love, that same love that inconvenienced itself, that took on burdens, that sacrificed its very life in order that it may bring life to others. And his hope is that these very Galatians would see that love and respond to it. And so we end our study. We end this book. We end this letter in the same way that Paul did. And he ends it with a prayer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And we hope that this study has been good. And we hope that you continue to be encouraged and moved by the true gospel as faith continues not just to justify us, but sanctify us. Have a great week. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.